0: Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter number 3, <clears throat> Revelation chapter number 3. and it good to be saved? Amen. Isn't it good to have heat? <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 3. While you turning, does anybody need a lesson? Anybody forgot to pick up your lesson? There you go, raise your hand, Brother Johnny's going to grab, raise it real high, raise it real high up in the, up in the balcony, anybody up there need a, need a lesson? Y'all good up there? All right, anybody on this side? Anybody on this side? Oh, y'all know, y'all got it, amen. All right, all right. While you are turning to Revelation chapter three, let me let me kind of give a little reminder uh, to all those that may, maybe you're just you, you're new tonight. This is your first time with us. Uh, we have been going through the Book of Revelation. We are uh, uh, currently in chapters two and three, which is the midsection of the book of Revelation. It's the seven letters to the seven churches which describe the church age in general. But each church, there's a real practical lesson, real practical teachings for each particular church. There were seven churches in Asia Minor that John is writing specifically to. Actually, Jesus is writing through John to these seven churches because they all have issues. Uh, How many of y'all know churches in America have issues? How many of y'all know Jesus knows what they are? Amen. And he knew the issues here, and so he's addressing them. And we've taken them one at a time, going through these churches, and uh, the church of Ephesus, and, and, and Smyrna, and Thyatira, and Pergamos, and, and, and so forth. All, now we're at the church of Sardis, the church of Sardis. And, and we're going to read here, beginning in chapter number 3. We'll read just a couple verses, and then you can sit down, okay? Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, if you're there, say Amen. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Come on, people, and art Dead. dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works Perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your mercy. Thank you for the, the honor it is to be here and the privilege. Lord, I I, I believe with all of my heart I have your word and I have the message that you would want me to deliver tonight, but I cannot do this on my own. I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this without your spirit and your power and your leading and your guiding. And Lord, I pray that you'll just bring to my mind and and remind me the things that I've studied and I've, I've read. And God, I pray that you'll keep my mind clear and focused. I pray that I won't say anything carnal. I pray that I won't say anything out of the way. I pray that I won't say anything that's not ordained by the Holy Ghost. I pray that I won't forget anything I need to say. And Lord, I pray that every single thing will be clearly understood by all the the hearers here tonight. And I pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want, to, I want to read you a little information to begin with. I, I, I usually do this in, in these letters before we jump into the outline. Uh, but it's really important tonight because I want to describe the city a little bit and give you the, uh, a little background information about the city because what happens in the city almost runs parallel with what happened in the church. And when you see, when you see kind of what they did in the city... And how it ended up, you'll you'll see a a better understanding of how the same attitude, which is carelessness, the same attitude can take place in a church and the same result will take place, which is destruction. And so as I read this, just just sit back a minute and, and listen. And It's really good information and interesting information. And this is pretty much a basic description of the city of Sardis, Uh, uh, that we are writing this letter to and and where where the church is. To a striking degree, the history of the church at Sardis paralleled that of the city, which was founded about 1200 B.C. Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It was the capital of the wealthy Lydian kingdom. Uh Aesop, most of y'all know Aesop's fables. You, you read about that, learned about that in school. Uh, he was from here in Sardis, a famous writer of fables. Much of Sardis' wealth came from gold taken from the nearby uh, Pactolus River. Archaeologists have found hundreds of crucibles used for refining gold in the ruins of Sardis. Now, now keep in mind that word, in the ruins, in the ruins of Sardis. This is a once wealthy Wealthy, one of the greatest cities in the ancient world, but because of decay, now it's nothing but ruins. Ruins. Gold and silver coins were apparently first minted at Sardis. The city also benefited from its location at the western end of the royal road that led east to the Persian capital city of Susa. And from its proximity to other important trade routes, it was also a center for wool production, and the garment industry, in fact, Sardis claimed to have discovered how to dye wool. Now, now, here's what I want you to get. Here's what I want you to get about the location of this city. Sardis was located about 30 miles south of Thyatira, that's who we studied last week, in the fertile valley of the Hermus River. A series of spurs or hills jutted out from the ridge of Mount Timolus south of the Hermes River. On one of those hills, some fifteen hundred feet above the valley floor, stood Sardis. Its location, its location, made the city almost impregnable. Impregnable? I can't even say it. You got it. You, you can't conquer it. Say, "Amen." <laughs> impregnable, impregnable. The hill on which Sardis was uh, was built had smooth, nearly perpendicular rock walls on three sides. It was completely surrounded by by a cliff, if you will, on three sides. Uh, Only from the south could the city be approached via steep, difficult path. The one drawback, the one drawback to an otherwise ideal site was that there was limited room for the city to expand. Eventually, as Sardis grew, a new city sprang up at the foot of the hill, and the old site remained a refuge to retreat into when danger threatened. Now, here's, here's the deal. It's it's seemingly impossible location to conquer. I mean, in their minds, this was an impossibility. We could never be conquered. This is the greatest place. It caused the inhabitants of Sardis to be overconfident. That complacency eventually led to the city's downfall through carelessness. Say that with me. Through carelessness. The unimaginable happened. Sardis was conquered. The news of its downfall sent shockwaves through the Greek world. Even in John's day, several centuries later, a proverbial saying equated to capture the Acropolis of Sardis with to do the impossible. In other words, they compared being able to conquer this city with doing the impossible. And in, in finding this, here's a, here's a Dr. Robert L. Thomas relates the account of Sardis' fall. Watch what he says. Despite an alleged warning against self-satisfaction by the Greek god whom he consulted, Croesus, the, the king of Lydia, initiated an attack against Cyrus, king of Persia, but was soundly defeated and returning to Sardis to recoup and rebuild his army from another attack, he was pursued quickly by Cyrus, who laid siege against Sardis. Croesus felt utterly secure in his situation atop of the Acropolis and foresaw an easy victory over the Persians. Who were cornered among the perpendicular rocks in the lower city, an easy prey for the assembling uh, Lydian army to crush. Now, after retiring one evening while the drama was unfolding, he awakened to discover that the Persians had gained control of the Acropolis by scaling one by one the steep walls in 549 BC. So secure did the Sard- Sardin- Sardians feel that they left this means of access completely unguarded. You get that? They left it completely unguarded because they were so careless and they were so self-secure. They permitted the climbers to ascend unobserved. It is said that even a child could have defended the city from this kind of attack. But not so, uh, not so much as one observer had been appointed to watch the side that was believed to be inaccessible. History repeated itself more than three and a half centuries later when Antiochus the Great conquered Sardis by utilizing the services of a sure-footed mountain climber from Crete, and that was in 195 B.C. His army entered the city by another route while the defenders in careless confidence were content to guard the one known approach. What's the point? What's the point? Later on, Sardis regained its or, or excuse me, never regained its independence and eventually coming under Roman control in 133 BC. Uh, it was destroyed by a catastrophic earthquake. Uh, uh, Tiberius came in and, and rebuilt the city. They they built a temple to him, dedicated in his honor and all that. But but here's here's what I want you to get. As we go through this lesson, I want you to see, I want you to see the parallel between the attitude of the people in Sardis and the carelessness that that attitude created, and they it led to their defeat. It led to their downfall. So with that in mind, how many of y'all can keep that in mind to the end? All right, let's jump into our lesson. Let's jump into our lesson in in your outline. As as we know, every every single letter began with the one who wrote it. Uh, He addresses the church with uh, uh, these things right. These things right. Jesus took... Jesus took a description of himself that was given in chapter number one and put it at the beginning of every single letter, every single letter. How many of y'all remember that? Say amen. amen. Every single time. Why? Why? Because the description of himself fit the need of that particular church. How many of y'all are glad that whatever you need, he is? He is. He is the great I am, amen. If I'm hungry, I am the bread of life. If I'm thirsty, I am the living water, amen. If my dreams and my wishes have died, I am the resurrection, he says Each one of these letters, he's saying, hey, I am what you need by each description given in chapter number one. Now, in this particular one, like the last one, he changes it a little bit. He changes it a little bit. So let's, let's look at this here. Number one, I want you to see the author. First, I want you to see the identification that's manifested. The identification. How does he How does he identify himself to this crowd? How does he identify himself to this particular congregation? Now, we know, we know the congregation is dead, right? And we'll, we'll get into that here in just a minute. But how does he identify himself? Look in chapter number 3, verse 1. Under the angel of the church in Sartre. And by the way, for those that you are here that's new tonight... I got to remind you every time because I don't want you to be confused. He's not writing to an angel that's got a halo and flapping wings. Are y'all with me? Say amen. The angel is the messenger of that church or the pastor of that church, the one who is there to lead that particular congregation. He's writing to them and through them so they could deliver it to the congregation himself. All right? Now, verse 1 These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Now we know, now we know by scripture. We know by scripture that, that there are not seven different Holy Spirits. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Uh, there, there's two things I want you to take from this. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter number 11, which is in, in your notes right there. It's Isaiah chapter 11, verse number two. I think there's a typo in, in, in your notes. It should say verse number two there. Uh, but anyway, we're going we're to look at the different descriptions of the Holy Spirit, his characteristics that are found here, and there's seven of them. But I want you to take this. The, word, the number seven is complete. The number seven is perfection. The number, the number seven represents fullness. Are y'all with me? What he's saying here, I, I, the one that's writing has the full, complete, perfect spirit of God. Now, look in Isaiah chapter number 11. Isaiah chapter number 11, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is talking about Christ. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, or excuse me, and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord. Let's go down this number. All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, and here we go. Here we go. He's the spirit of the Lord. He's the spirit of the Lord. He's also number one, the spirit of wisdom. Number two, the spirit of the spirit of counsel. Number four, the spirit of and the spirit of. Knowledge and the spirit of or reverence. Reverence. All right? Now, here's, here's the thing. The Lord, the Spirit, is represented, or His characteristics are all of these things. Wisdom, might. You can look at you can look at several different verses in Scripture that describe the Holy Spirit. What did God do? What did Jesus do when he went back to heaven? He left the Holy Spirit to be our what? Teacher. He said, he shall teach you all things. He shall bring all things to your remembrance. How do I, how do I understand the Bible? Through the help of the Holy Spirit. Are y'all with me? Now, watch, watch what I want you to get from this. Look at these verses. Look at these verses. It says in, in, in uh, 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 verse number, well, let me give you the next point, and then we'll, we'll, we'll put it all together. We'll tie it all together. We see the identification that's manifested. Then B, the influence that's missing. This is the key, the influence that's missing. And, and what will make this make sense is the next part of this, how he describes himself. All right, let's go back to chapter 1. Flip over in your Bible. Flip over in your Bible to chapter number 1, okay? you get there say amen Amen. why are you laughing I'm trying to find my verse all right verse 20 verse 20 the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest where in my right hand all right in my right hand now look look in revelation 2 revelation 2 verse 1 Revelation 2, verse 1. When you get there, say amen. Amen. And don't laugh. All right, here we go. Unto unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that... What's that word? What's that word? Holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, let's go back to chapter 3. Let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that... Hath, hath, hath. The seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What word's missing? Somebody said it. Holdeth, holdeth. It says he hath, but it doesn't say he holdeth. He holdeth. Now, the right hand represents authority, right? The right hand represents direction, guidance, in other words, when he, is, when he is addressing the church of Ephesus, he said, I am holding the pastors in my right hand. I am guiding. I am directing. Listen to this angel as he delivers this message because this message is coming from me. I am telling him what to say. I'm telling him what to do. Every single congregation in, in the world should have a pastor that is being directed and being guided and being led by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Jesus is to have preeminence. Jesus is the shepherd. The pastor is the under-shepherd who is being led by the chief shepherd. Say amen right there. Now, but here we find a different, a different look, a different phrase. He says he has them, but he's not holding them. Now, I want you to look at, your, look at your notes a minute. Look at your notes a minute. Note the similarity in the way the Lord addresses the church of Ephesus and Sardis. In the message to Ephesus, the Lord was holding the seven stars in his right hand and walking in the midst. In this church, he has the seven stars. Now, what does that mean? The wording indicates that the Sardis church was his possession, but not under his control. Let me say that again. The wording indicates that the Sardis church was his possession, but not under his control. I put some I put some verses here Psalms 119 105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path Psalms 37 23 The steps of a good man the steps of a good man let me say it the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, Lord. Ephesians 5:18 Ephesians 5:18 Be not drunk with wine We're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. When you put those two together, be not drunk with wine. What does that mean? Don't be intoxicated. Don't be controlled by that. Don't be under the influence. Alcohol will influence your thinking. It will influence your activity. It will influence the things that you do. And what he's saying, don't be influenced by alcohol, but be influenced, be filled, be controlled, be directed by the Holy Ghost. Now he's addressing himself as the one who has the Spirit of God. What is he trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that this is his church and he wants to direct it, he wants to control it, he wants to guide it, he wants to lead it by the power and by the presence and by the guidance of the Holy Ghost. Every church should be led by the Spirit of God. Every church should be directed and guided by the presence of the Spirit of God. And by, why? Because He's the Spirit of wisdom. He's the Spirit of counsel. He's the Spirit of might. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. And God has a desire, specifically the Lord Jesus has a desire to control his church and guide his church. Why? Because he's in the midst of the church and he knows what the church needs and he knows the direction the church is going. And he says, I want to be in charge. I want to be leading, but not in this church, not in this church. Now, let me tell you why. Well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I got to. We're going to jump forward and jump right back. Say amen. All right, if we jump forward, we're going to learn that this church is full of unconverted people. He said, You have a name that you live, but you are, come on, everybody, you are, if you are any Bible student at all, you will always know when he's referencing dead, he's talking about lost folk. And you who were dead, say it with me, you who were dead in your trespasses and in sins, when he talks about a lost person getting saved, he says, you've moved from death unto life. Y'all with me? Now watch this. Watch this. What there's a progression that takes place. We go from Pergamus or Pergamum, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis. Right? Right? If you're here the last three weeks, you should be nodding your head right there. That's right, preacher. Right? Now, the church in Pergamos, they just kind of fellowship with sinners. They wasn't, they wasn't, they wasn't doing the deed, but they were tolerating the ones who did. They wasn't going to the temples and they wasn't. Uh, they wasn't participating in the sacrifices and they wasn't participating in the debauchery. They wasn't uh, participating in the sin that the others were doing, but they allowed them to be in the fellowship without any kind of response or any kind of restraint. They tolerated it. Are y'all with me? But then we come to Thyatira. They're not just fellowshipping and flirting with sinners. They're actively participating with them. Are y'all with me? They're actively participating with them. They're doing the same things that the sinners are doing. They're doing the same things that the world is doing. Now you don't have a, now you don't have a church that's flirting with the world. You, act, you got a church that's acting just like the world. Now watch. Now we come to Sardis. Now we come to Sardis. And we go from, and we go from fellowshipping with the world, flirting with the world, just, 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 just just over here, just messing around. And now we're fully fledged doing what the world is doing. Now here in Sardis, now all of a sudden we are controlled by the sinners, by unconverted people. Let me tell you something. I've been in churches all over the place. I've had the awesome opportunity, undeserving, but I've got to preach in a lot of different states and I've been in a lot of different churches. And I was, I've been in a lot of churches before I was even a preacher. I went to revivals and meetings with my father and, and I've been in tons of places. And I'm going to tell you this right now, there's some dead places out there. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you know, a dead service. Now we're not we're not swinging from the chandeliers every Sunday here. Sometimes y'all come in and y'all like in a coma until about third way through the service, and then y'all kind of loosen up a little bit and make hard on me. Hello, that's not the kind of dead I'm talking about. I'm talking about no life, no life. There's churches all over America. That flirted with sin. Here's the thing: What happened to the church? How did it get dead? Because it was once alive. It, it, it once it once had a you know a reputation. It, it once was alive because the outside world still thought it was. But they're dead. So it, it went, So so what? What killed it? The wages of sin is it was sin. But here's what happens we got people in leadership that's not even saved. People over committees that's not even saved. People in leadership roles, major leadership roles in churches all over America that's not even saved. They were popular. They came in and they were a pillar of the community, but they were never converted. But everybody liked them and they were popular. Let's give them a place. Yeah, that's a good point. They gave a lot of money to the church. Let's keep them somewhere. Let's keep them happy. And the church was so, in. now think about how this works. How many of y'all have ever heard the, heard the terminology of the camel's nose in the tent? One person in the whole building. How many of y'all have never heard getting the camel's nose in the tent? Raise your hand. I'm fixing to educate you. Here's the point. How many of y'all know a camel is a pretty large creature? How many of y'all know you don't want to be in a tent with a camel? The, the, the The proverbial saying is if you allow the camel to get his nose in there, in just a little while, you're going to be sleeping with it. Because he's going to get all up in your tent. Because if you let him get his nose in there, he's going to keep weaseling in. You see what happened? Over here, we don't think it's a big deal. We don't think it's a big deal. Hey, let's please the world. Let's, let's, let's just let him in. Let's let him in our congregation. Let's let him, Let's let. and I'm not talking about uh, lost people coming to church service. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about buddy-buddy and partnering with them. And doing what the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with them. Don't team up with lost people to accomplish a spiritual good. But they just tolerate it. It's all right, no no problem. Now, over here, when you tolerate it, when you tolerate it, now you're actually, you're doing it. You're you're committing it. But then when you allow that to take root, and you, you don't deal with that. Before long, it's controlling It wasn't wasn't the hand of Christ controlling now. He said, they're mine. The church is mine, but I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. They haven't asked what I thought for years. I'll be honest with you. If the Holy Ghost showed up to a lot of churches Sunday morning, it'd scare them to death. They've learned you don't know, they don't have to they don't have to have the Holy Ghost to do church. They've been doing church for years. And there's cobwebs in the baptistry. They got our four and no more. The chosen, frozen. Got buzzards roosting on the steeple. is dead. Listen. Jesus has to have control. He wants to lead his church by the Holy Spirit. He said he that hath the seven spirits of God who has the the angels but not control of them. Well, what what's controlling if the Holy Spirit's not controlling? Popularity churches, dead churches, are controlled more by popularity than prayer. They're controlled more by status than scriptures. They're controlled more by the majority and not the master. Watch this, number two. Look at the accusation. I know thy works. I know thy works. That thou has hast a name that thou livest, in other words, a reputation, and art, man, is quiet. Some of y'all remember in churches, y'all been anxious. <laughs> thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. dead. You know what? Something stood out to me. Something stood out to me. In all these letters, he said, I know thy works. I, right? That's one phrase that's in all of them. I know thy works. 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 And, 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 and just about all of them, maybe, maybe all of them, except this one, uh, when he says, I know thy works, he describes them. Man, you're doing this good, and you're doing that good, and you're doing this good, and you're doing that good. Remember, Church of Ephesus, thou hast labored, thou hast not fainted, and thou hast not put up with them that says there, you know, and, and all this stuff. But do you notice, he doesn't say anything. They got them. They got works. They've got deeds. They got stuff they're doing. They've got activities. They got a bulletin that's loaded with stuff. They're in the community everywhere. They're, they're busy as a bee. But he don't mention nary one. That's my grandma talk for you. Nary one. Not one. I wonder about that. Why wouldn't he mention them? And it dawned on me. They're dead. And It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what works they do if they're dead. It doesn't matter how much community service they do. It doesn't matter how many uh, uh, hungry people they feed. It doesn't matter how many widows that they take care of. It doesn't matter how many deeds of service that they do if they are dead. Dead. It's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You're going to make it look pretty, but it's still going down. And there's churches all over America right now that's trying to find the next popular preacher, the next good young man. That There's nothing, listen, it's all senior saints in the church and it's been run by a family for years and years and years and they just need that next good young man that can come and bring a miracle and bring the young people in. No, you need a funeral. You don't need to bring a, a young man in and kill his dreams and kill his desires because you going not run him into the ground like the last seven pastors you had. You need to bury that thing. Your problem is not a new leader. Your problem is you're dead. Dead. Bring in another preacher. Paint the building. Build another building. Start a new ministry. It's all irrelevant if you're dead. I know I'm going to get hate mail over this one. But it's the God's truth. Certain groups in the church have controlled it for years. And anytime somebody with a desire, sometimes somebody with a vision, and sometimes with a heart, if it goes against what they want, man, they kill them. And it's because they're unconverted. He said, You have a name. You have a reputation that thou livest. Everybody in the community, everybody in the community thinks you're the the hottest thing. Because you said it, you have works. I know thy works. You have your reputation. If you was to come into Sardis, man, everybody in town said, Man, that's where you need to go. They have a lot of activities, they've got something for the kids. But see, God looks past the surface things. God doesn't look at the things that we look at. God looks past all of that. He said, you've got a reputation on the outside that you are all that and more, but you're dead. Listen, he says the same thing. He says the same thing about the hypocrites and the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrite. Hypocrite is one who wears a mask, by the way. For ye are like unto whited sepulchers. On the outside, it looks like a mausoleum. On the outside, it's pretty marble and beautiful. On the outside, it's a whited sepulcher. It's it's a, a beautiful edifice, which indeed appears beautiful outward, but are within full of and all uncleanness. Watch what he says. Even so ye also, what's that word? Come on, everybody. Outwardly appear unto who? Men. But within, you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. What's Timothy? What did Paul tell Timothy? 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of, come on now, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away hey this is not just congregations there's, there's false prophets that way that will come as wolves in sheep's clothing there's fake stuff everywhere the, the, it says unto men unto men don't go to a lost person to find a good church don't go to a sinner For a recommendation of where to go to church. One year we was voted best church in Coleman. I said, throw that junk in the garbage. I meant it. And I wasn't trying to be, you know, here's the deal. Number one, Says who? Number two, what, what are these churches that are really trying, that are really serious for God, and they're struggling because they just don't have certain things and resources, and they're trying their best, so, so we better than them because we got a, a, a concrete parking lot? Or a big building? Or Are you all with me? I, I'm trying to make a point here. I'm trying to say this, that on the outside, there are people who will say this and that about all kind of places, but God looks past all that garbage. Man, people will tell you, people will tell you, more lost people than saved you. You got to have this and you got to have that. You got to have, let me tell you something. We grew faster and more in a tent in the parking lot in the dead of winter. Are y'all with me? He says, You got a reputation. You got a reputation that you're alive. You got a reputation that you're you're all that. But let me tell you something. Here's the reality you're dead. You're dead. What is the accusation? There's a reputation, but then there's a reality. Let's let's discover, let's look at this reality. Let's look at this reality. I hate the devil, don't y'all? I hate the devil. He can trick us, man. He's so good. He's so deceptive. He comes as an angel of light. The reality is they were dead. Now, where, where does the Bible talk about dead people? Deadness, referencing. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you have to quickened who were Dead. Now watch what. Now now watch, watch who he's describing as being dead. What were they dead in? Trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That means behavior. In time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were in sins. He's talking about unconverted people, lost people. Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him. The word quicken means made alive, having forgiven you all your trespasses. You see the connection here, guys? John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from what? Unto death, lost, life saved. Now I'm I'm going to I'm going to tell you this. I I'm I, I was told this quote came from Billy Graham, but I, I don't know I don't know where it came from. I'm just going to agree with the quote whoever said it. Some people some people think you have to go to a foreign soil to find a fertile mission ground, but America's churches is the largest mission field in the world almost. Why? Because it's full of unconverted people. You go by church after church after, church after church after church after church after church after church after church. And there's one or two cars in the parking lot. And they're, 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 they're falling, listen, falling apart. And, and, you, and you say, well, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? Dead. 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 Like so many churches, watch this now, like so many churches today, it was defiled by the world. It was defiled by the world, characterized by inward decay and populated by unredeemed people playing church. The church of Sardis was like a museum in which stuffed animals are exhibited in their natural habitats. Everything appears to be normal, but nothing is how many of y'all know what I'm can y'all see that picture? Man, you got this polar bear exhibit. <clears throat> and everything's wide in there to make it look like snow and make it look like their environment. And here you got this polar bear standing up and maybe a seal down there fixing to have a bad day. Say Amen or in the next in the next room you have this 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 look of the of the the safari and, and you got high grass and this lion crouching and, and the zebra over here he don't know nothing and it all looks so real and it looks so vibrant and the colors are so lively and i mean they they seem even real to the touch but they're all dead And you can go to church after church after church, and they're singing songs, and they're meeting, and they have a steeple, and they have pews, but they're dead. They're not reproducing. Life begets life. Life begets life, and energy, and excitement, and enthusiasm. And you don't have to, you don't have to. You don't have to work it up, and you don't have to manufacture it. do you all see this? He said, you look fine on the outside. You look like it's all there, and you look like the real deal, but the truth is you're dead. You're dead. Full of unredeemed people playing church. No, we don't need a new program. We need some salvations to take place. We don't need to run this preacher off and get a new one. We just need to get saved and follow the maybe the one that God sent. What are the danger signs? What are the danger signs? When a church is content to rest on its past accomplishments, be careful when the church is always talking about the good old days. I might have to edit this out, but <clears throat> when I was growing up, there was a guy that loved to sing specials, and and you know, Dad just let everybody do it whether they could or not. I'm not my father, so don't even ask. Because there were some bad experiences. I'm going to tell you that right now. But he'd get up every week and just start talking about the good old days in South Georgia. And and it was never what God was doing right now. It was always the good old days. Man, I like the good old days. But they're not here right now. We're here. We're here. We gotta, we gotta reach this crowd here. And when a church is content to live off, and they're always talking about the good old days, or trying to restore, or trying to revive the good old days. When a church is more interested in formality than spirituality. They're more interested in having business meetings and prayer meetings. When a church is more concerned with pleasing people than changing people. When a church is more concerned with material things, what they own, what they have, the property, the buildings, than spiritual things. Listen, we don't need none of this stuff. how you know well a tornado made it where we couldn't use it so we just had church at the football stadium in Coleman Amen, Amen. That's right It's going to get better guys watch you When a church is more concerned about what men think than what God said Be careful with that person at all when you give them a Bible verse for whatever they have an issue with and they say well I feel like whoa One of my mentors was talking with a gentleman that, that was having some problems. He didn't like some of the things that was going on. And, and, and he shared with him several verses to support why they were doing what they were doing. And he literally said this, whether he did it on purpose or whether he didn't realize what he was saying. I don't care what the Bible says. This is what I like. Now, I know what you're thinking. You might have been one of the ones going, But we may not actually come out and say it like he did. But there are people that has that attitude. You care more about your preference than souls being saved. When you're more concerned with voting than volunteering. I love people that like to be in charge and, and just want to tell everybody else what to do. You can be in charge around here. That just means you're the first one to do it. Leading the way. No leader around here is going to send up anybody up a ladder. They ain't already climbed. When you're more concerned with fighting than faithfulness. When you're more concerned with whining than working. I can do this all night. It's a good chance you're probably dead. Dead. What's the admonition? Lord, help us. We got, we got it. Don't worry. It's all good. How many of y'all can listen faster? Okay. All right. We got it. Look at the admonition. Number two. don't you write this down? don't you see the task? What we got to do. Hey, and by the way, guys, remember, all seven of these churches, all the problems they have, we got potential. I know some of these things we look at and think, oh, man, we won't never have that problem. Be careful. Remember what that, what that the attitude that Sardis, they had? They were careless because they didn't think they could ever be defeated. Watch. The admonition, here's the task. It's really threefold. Verse 2 says, be okay. Three, y'all got a Bible in this house. Come on. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 2, first two words. Be watchful. watchful. You know what that means? Wake up! You watching by internet. Wake up! Wake up! Who needs to wake up? The ones that, see, they were controlled and filled, probably the majority by unconverted people, but they were still a remnant of true believers in the house. And now he's directing this to them and saying, wake up! Don't you see what's happening? Don't you, don't you, now here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. It's so easy to be lulled into a sleep when all the bills are getting paid for. When, when there's a decent crowd showing up. Hey, even lost people say amen every now and then. You don't have to be spiritual to say amen. Hello? Nobody wants to say it, do we? Okay, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. Let's be honest. How many of you... Have not been spiritual at all whatsoever because you had a bad day that you didn't want to be at church that day, but you said it anyway. Amen. See, we don't have to be spiritual. And this place is this place has a reputation. It's probably has a lot of activity on the outside. It looks really good. So the people that are really truly converted, sometimes if. If if I have to tell you to wake up, what are you doing? This is not a hard question. If I have to tell you to wake up, what are you doing? Sleeping. You're lulled to sleep. You're lulled to sleep. And and here's here's the times when you're lulled to sleep. When you're feeling good. If you're freezing to death, it's hard to go to sleep. It's hard to go to sleep when your teeth are chattering. Say amen. It's hard to go to sleep when you're uncomfortable. It's, and it. Watch this now. I mean, let me, I'm mean, i just trying to be practical. I'm trying to get y'all to get this. It's hard to get comfortable when you can't pay the bills. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've worried myself to sleep and couldn't sleep and worried all the way home because there wasn't enough money that came in the offering to pay the bills. Y'all don't know nothing about all that. I remember I, I, let me tell you something. Nothing will make you pray like not being able to pay your bills. There's one thing that I wanted to make sure that we had a good testimony in our community. We paid our bills no matter what. And, and man, I'm telling you, you'll pray. When things aren't going right, you'll pray. But when do we stop? When things are going. You don't believe that? Look what happened to 9-11. People all over the place. Even, even them liberal news outlets were saying, America prayed. Everybody everywhere prayed. They were showing up to church when they didn't even have church. But how long did that take to wear off? We will always remember, we'll never forget, we'll never forget what the Islamic terrorists did. And just a little bit, we we voted a man whose name was saying? And I'm not being Democrat or Republican. I'm just telling you, when we get easy, when things are going good, it's easy to go to, and God is telling them, wake up. Your church is dying. Your church is full of unrepentant dead people, and your church is dying. Wake up. And I want to tell you guys today, wake up. Wake up and see what the world's trying to do to your family. Wake up and see what this culture's trying to do to your kids. They want to destroy your kids. They're infiltrating. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. There is an epidemic. There is an epidemic right now of kids that are struggling with same-sex attraction right now because it's so real and so powerful in the culture. While churches all over America and parents are going to sleep and their kids are struggling to death over this. They're coming out by the droves because the devil's got them so confused. They don't know what to think, and they don't want to. And you know what we're doing? We're watching Ellen, and we're watching all these shows that glamorize uh, homosexuality. We think it's funny. We laugh at it. Ha, 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 till one of our kids comes out. And that's happening because God's people are sleeping. Abortion took place because the church went to sleep. There are so many things I could just go down the list of the wickedness that's taking place in our country because we've been sleeping on the job. God says, wake up. Wake up. Then he says this, strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things that remain. He said, that that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect, means complete before God. How do we do that? How how do we save that which is ready to die? Verse 3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. In other words, remember what you heard. Remember the scriptures. Remember the Word of God. Amen. Let's get back to it. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something. The Word will work if you work it. Yes, Listen, we don't, need a, we don't need a fancy singing group to come in to have revival. We don't need a world renowned evangelist to have revival. If we'll just start doing what that book says, we'll have revival. Amen. It's the same scriptures. It's the same thing that was preached at the Welsh Revivals. It's the same thing that was preached during the Great Awakenings in America. The greatest revivals of America and England and Scotland and Germany all came out the same Bible. It still has power. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Somebody say "Man, We just got to start read, reading it again and preaching it some more and remember it and living it and obeying it. Somebody say amen. Remember what you heard. And he's talking to that remnant, guys. He's talking to the ones that's not dead, but they're sleeping. He's saying, wake up. Remember what got you here. Man, it's easy to see all of this. And I've been guilty myself of throwing it in neutral. Because we can pay the bills. And we're, we're able to take care of the needs that we have. And we got a comfortable building. And, and really, there's no major stress on us. And it's easy to just kind of cruise. But that's the fastest way to go to sleep. And what happens when you sleep at the wheel? You die. He says, remember. Strengthen those things that remain. Remember what you heard. Get back to it. Look at the threat. The threat. He says, repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch. In other words, wake up. If you don't wake up, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. In other words, I'm going to come when you're not even paying attention. You're not even looking for it and you're not going to be ready. When a thief comes in this illustration it's in other words it's a time when you're not you're not looking for it. I wonder how many how many how many true blue uh, the piano that, the piano that Miss uh, Miss Edna donated to our church. It came out of a church that was probably running 800 to 1000 at one time. I think Miss Edna is as, as true blue of a Christian as there, there could be. And I believe there were people in that church that was just like her. Now she moved away and you know and all that, but they had bought that 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 piano for that church. You say, well, how'd we get it? That church is no longer in existence. I guarantee you this, there was a day, there was a day that many of those old saints of God, they, they woke up and they saw. We don't have no church. And it's like all of a sudden, what happened? How do, there is a picture, there is a picture on Miss Edna's wall where, where the, the, the leadership is standing on the platform and they're looking back, and the congregation's here, and there ain't an empty seat in the building. And I believe there's a balcony, if I can remember right, and they're all looking and they're taking a picture of this awesome church. It's no longer existing. Somebody went to sleep. And guess what? When they wasn't even looking, they turned around one day, woke up, and it's gone. What am I saying? Why am I saying this? Guys, none of this is guaranteed. If we start Playing around with sin, flirting with it, and allowing and not dealing with it and naming it. Y'all know how intense it's been around here the last few weeks. I, I, I was blown away by Sunday and last Wednesday. All I did was read the verse. I didn't even elaborate on it. I just read the verse and it was so quiet in here, you could have had devotion. That's where we've gotten to, even here. And I would like to think we're kind of spiritual. So what is that? We're not immune to falling, guys. We have to stay awake. Or there is a a real threat of losing everything God's given us. Here's the assurance, though. Two things. Oh, goodness, I'm over time. Two, Two things. Write these things down. There's a faithful remnant. And then he gives the faithful's reward. Those who are faithful. He said in verse verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Even in that church full of dead, unrepentant, unredeemed, unregenerated people, there was still a faithful remnant. What's that mean? It don't matter what y'all do, you can do right. We're not going to stand before God as a church. You're going to stand before God as an individual believer. There was still a remnant. Now let me read this and we'll pray. He that overcometh the same shall be, this is talking about a true genuine believer. Every time you see the overcomer, we know he's talking about a true genuine believer. The same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. You see, in that day, in, in, in the ancient days, each city would have like a census, and they'd have everybody's name on a list and on a book, and the undesirables, they would scratch out. They would take their name off of the citizen roll. And what God is saying here, he says, I'll never blot you out. You'll always be mine. A true blue believer, he says, you'll always be mine. Mind. Somebody say amen. amen. Thank God for His assurance. Let's 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 pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for Your word.